0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to America's Web Radio, and welcome to Billion Dollar Ball. I'm Jack Christie here to bring you the show where we discuss the business of sports involving everything from the NCAA all the way up to the major leagues. Now, as we all know, we've been navigating through COVID-19, all the fun shows that uh, we do,
2: but in very informative shows, we really his sure agent and
1: happened show- followed by the huge shutdown, the reopening, and as we're seeing now, kind of a, a rising in the amount of cases as well. Um, it's certainly been a roller coaster of a ride for all of us and for the sports world as well. Um, so, as we were coming to the end of these stoppages, a lot of the sports announcing their comeback, but with the rising in cases, a lot has been thrown into question. So today we're going to cover the possibility that the comeback for most of the sports doesn't go maybe as smoothly as people think it's going to go. Um, What would happen if there was another shutdown? But Before we get to any of that, we're first going to start at the college level today. We're going to talk a little bit about the NCAA and continued coverage on the cutting of programs and uh, the cutting of individual sports. Um, so as we've discussed in many of the previous weeks, with concern about the fall football season growing by the day, the fear is that the cut only just begun. Um, so again, as we've discussed bit, football is the only sport that generates profit at most schools. Um, And if that season is cut short or canceled, which is not scheduled to be right now, but with the rising number of cases, who knows, every sport is going to feel it. So a little bit by the numbers here, just a quick breakdown. 43 Division I teams have been eliminated in the past 12 weeks, and more than 130 programs have been cut across all NCAA levels. Uh, By comparison, just 57 programs were cut in the previous three years. So, we're seeing a large number of schools cut back on their athletic spending. Um, and the, uh, the programs that have been hurt the most, men's and women's tennis, have been hit the hardest. Uh, and Olympic sports, uh, like volleyball, um, which could certainly affect the future of podiums. So, 88% of American athletes in the Rio games played their sport in college, so as we see certain Olympic sports get cut on the college level, uh, it's important to note that not only can it affect the financials of each of these universities, it can also affect the uh, the country as a whole and our success in the Olympic Games, something I don't think a lot of people have been considering. Um, when you look at the big picture as a whole, uh, schools claim that these are money-saving decisions. Um, and it's definitely true, but a, what a lot of it comes down to is the reluctance to touch where the actual money comes from, um, the football budget. So there's proof of that, and the NCAA model has been somewhat corrupted. Um, it's kind of lost its original purpose of providing broad-based opportunities. Um, for example, as we've discussed in the past, Cincinnati cut their men's soccer in March, Um, which is going to save the school roughly $725,000 annually. Um, But when you look at that in relation to football, that's less than it's paid its football support staff, which includes the non-coaches and non-players, so your facility managers, things like that. Um, That's less than it paid all of that support staff last year for the football program. And the Cincinnati head football coach actually made $2.3 million salary per year. Um, so you can see where the money truly lies in that. I mean, it makes sense that football is bringing in the most money for the school. Um, but it's definitely unfortunate for a lot of these athletes that are uh, part of sports that maybe don't bring in as much money. Um, taking a look at the state of play a little bit, no no power class. That's going to include your ACC, Big 12, Big Pets, Pac-12, SEC, and uh, Notre Dame, right? Um, They have been none of those qualified schools have in native sports, but that is going to change for fall season. If they lose out on some of those lucrative TV deals, that comprises about a third of their revenue. So if uh, if this coronavirus does continue to rise in cases, and if there's regional and national concern about another shutdown, um, we're going to see more programs getting cut, and uh, it's really going to affect every school. Um, whereas so far, the Power Five has been a little fortunate not to have to cut anything. Uh, however, at the Group Five level, some smaller conferences, some independent, uh the MAC, Sunbelt, things of that nature, um, their TV deals are smaller, um, and even football programs can sometimes lose money. And uh, schools such as UConn have already cut multiple schools. So with Athletic Department they just announced this week that they're eliminating their women's rowing, men's swimming and diving, men's cross-country, and men's tennis program um, next year as one of the significant measures they're taking to cut $10 billion annually from their athletic budget. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a huge hit to a school that certainly had a pretty diverse amount of sports before um, but it makes sense. I mean, the school's trying to cut their overall spending by 15%. Um, and in order to do that, they're going to they're gonna have to take some money from athletics, um, although it's pretty unfortunate. As you move down the decision, uh, move down the division, the reliance on the government and institutional funding is only increasing. So for a lot of these smaller schools, as the economy is suffering, as campuses potentially remain closed, and uh, as we've been seeing, enrollment's been dropping as well. Um, so between the economy suffering, meaning less government help, um, between enrollment plummeting, which is going to mean uh, less money to work with, anyway, um, we're going to have a lot of problems, and potentially more programs getting cut. Um, now, for schools that have scholarship-heavy men's sports like football um, at the Division One level, they provide eighty-five percent scholarships. Um, and this is something that I, I haven't discussed on this show yet, but I'm definitely um, excited to talk about it this time because it'll give you a little bit of an inside look at how these college sports operate. Um, so at the Division One FBS level, where there are 85% scholarships, there needs to be a heavy presence of women's sports in order to stay Title IX compliant. Um, Title IX is that equal opportunities, and that is women. Um this, uh, put back in in the day, and and really at this point in time, it's, uh, it's taking a new importance for a lot of these schools because one of the things that that says is that uh, there need to be uh, equal and fair representation um, for men and women um, across the sport. <laughs> So um, that includes in scholarships. So when you have a school like football um, where you're giving so much money to and they have so many scholarships, you need to include several women's sports um, because obviously there's no women's football. So you need to do several women's sports in order to offset those scholarships that you're giving for football. It's why um, sports where there's no male alternative like field hockey and bowling, have a huge presence across the country, even though they're not bringing in any money, and even though they're really not that popular of sports. Not a ton of people are going out to watch women's field hockey, uh, but they need those sports to offset the football. That being said, those sports have a budget too, um, between the scholarship, the travel, the facilities, and equipment. Um, it's really Costs a lot to run those sports, but it's difficult to cut them um, because most schools need to maintain that equity, and they're just a few scholarships away from falling below the criteria. So, if you're wondering why you're seeing more men's sports cut than women's sports, um, and if you're saying to yourself, well, a lot of these men's sports generate more money, a lot more revenue than a lot of these women's sports that's why you're seeing those sports cuts because of that title nine they just in a lot of cases can't cut the women's sports or they won't be in compliance with that just an interesting note uh, definitely a hard time for the NCAA right now a lot of moving pieces Um, hopefully we get to see football come back Uh, I'm extremely optimistic we've had a lot of athletic directors presidents of schools say it's going to happen there have been a few stubborn ones but fingers crossed that'll come back, and and maybe uh, in a few years we'll see things come back to normal and see programs come back, but for the time being, definitely a tough time for college athletics. Um, Moving forward to cover a little bit of what we're going to talk about in this show. Uh, It's going to be a very interesting show today, uh, full of a lot of news. Um, In the past, we've been talking about the potential for a lot of these leagues to come back. Um, we're now at a point where most of the professional leagues, and in fact all the major professional leagues, have announced a comeback. Um, although with the rise in cases, we're going to talk today a little bit about how uh, the comeback could be at risk. If, if the league's comebacks do end up failing, not only how that's going to look um, from a fan standpoint, but from a financial standpoint for not only the leagues, but the economies that are being supported by the leagues. Um, so the first thing that I do want to discuss in our next segment is how uh, how the sports landscape is changing because of all this. Um, there are, have been a lot of trends towards virtual fandom and virtual sports even prior to the coronavirus occurring, um, but this has really kind of uh, pushed fast forward on a lot of these alternative methods of bringing sports to you in your home, um, as we've seen. Stadium attendance has been on the decline for several years now, and uh, with that stadium attendance decline, there's been an increased emphasis on consumership at home. Um, how we can bring your sports to you in your living room and make it more worth your time, make it potentially even better than in a stadium. Um, and to take things even further, when we discuss things such as esports, sports that don't, don't need an in-person presence whatsoever. Um, that could even flourish during a pandemic. So a lot of those things are going to be discussed. Uh, It'll be the first time on this show we've brought in eSports, so I'm excited to talk about it. And if you don't know a lot about eSports, it's really growing at an incredible rate. It's going to be, I mean, for kids these days, going and playing uh, a virtual sport is almost... Almost the same as when we were all growing up playing, uh, going out to play football. They're just logging onto their Xbox and playing Madden. Um, so it's a whole changing environment, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. We're also going to discuss the potential failure to launch in the NBA. Um, so if the NBA does, uh, does again, as they're planning to come back in Orlando, um, in that bubble in Florida, it is one area where coronavirus cases are rising. Um, more so, and at a faster rate than most other places. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they're able to follow through with that. People have already been expressing doubt. Um, so we're going to talk about what can happen if they can't come back, and why they may not be able to come back. Um, although I'm extremely, extremely excited to watch some NBA basketball, as I'm sure all, most of you listeners are. Um, so although we're going to talk about some not so fun ideas today. Um, let's all remember, at this point in time, we're still planning on bringing back the NBA, and I'm hoping it's going to happen. And our third topic, not to give too much away, but if you haven't heard by now, the MLB is back. Finally, 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 they came to an agreement. Um, we're going to have professional baseball this year. A little less than a month, and a little over a month away, um, we're going to see players reporting to their training camps. Uh surely took long enough, but finally getting baseball back. We'll break down uh, what that return is going to mean for the league, the players, um, and for the new collective bargaining agreement that has to be uh, collectively bargained in 2021. Um definitely going to have a huge impact, not only on the optics of the league, but on the financials of the league. Um, so we're happy to have baseball back. And after a short break, we'll hop right into all those topics.
0: Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com.
2: Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend around town movers in my opinion are the best that's around town movers call them and we do appreciate you all listening in today and uh also i want to uh thank uh, all the folks that have joined up as patrons and uh donate to the station keep us on the air and also i want to suggest that uh, you get a box of kleenex and uh you go to uh, our website, americaswebradio.com, and programs, and go to, um, uh, I believe it was Wednesday, in fact, I know it's Wednesday, and a veteran's story. And this is a story of one of the few, and I don't think it's happened but this one time, actually, uh, a known soldier, or Air Force pilot, actually, was buried in a tomb, the tomb of the unknown soldier from Vietnam, and it took his sister, Colonel Blossie, to uh, finally uncover and prove that the remains were her brother, Michael Blossie, and it took 26 years, and in that 26 years, they had renamed the the remains x-26 and it took 26 years to un to recover his body and now he's buried in in uh st louis missouri but it's a touching touching story and i don't think many folks can get through it without that box of kleenex i know i needed one so uh it, it was just a it's it's a heck of a story, as is the fact, and I want everybody to understand this correctly. Our agent in charge, Sandy Bostick, and I talked about this, and the fact of the matter is, folks, we have to be very careful. The communists are trying to take over the United States. This has all been predicted. It's what's happening right now is a almost a direct copy of the nineteen seventeen. Bolshevik movement. So think about what you're doing when you're voting. Uh, how could you vote for an idiot like Biden that says there's 120 million people died of COVID 19? Or here locally, 4th District Representative Hank Johnson that says we've got too many troops on Guam and it's sinking. Hello, Hank. You're, you're as out to lunch as your leader Biden is. Okay, with that being said, you're listening to America's Web Radio and the Billion Dollar baller Show with uh, Jack. And, uh, we'll be back with Jack in three, two, one, and it's yours, Jack.
1: Welcome back to Billion Dollar Ballers and. David, I don't think you could be more right. And before I hop right into these esports segments, I do want to say very quickly, um, who wouldn't want a president who's supporting all their sports? So on a quick note, I wasn't planning on putting this into the show today, but it's a very cool story that I recently read about that um, Donald Trump's actually going to be hopping on a call. The president will be on a call with every single major sports league commissioner on this Saturday, so he's actually going to help them lay out their economic plan moving forward uh, as we know hugely supportive of sports in the past he's been uh, he's been including sports in the phase one he understands the important economic benefit that they can provide so we'll talk a little bit about that next week what what comes out from that call um, but definitely excited to see the support that the, the sports leagues are getting on the national level um, and with that we'll hop right into our next segment. So this segment is going to focus on how sports are trending towards a more digital landscape um, prior to and even furthered by the coronavirus and the opportunities that this has brought to light. Um, also, we'll be discussing the value and reach of esports. Again, um, for those of you who don't know, it's it's a really quickly growing industry and something that um, maybe in our children's lives, uh, will become one of the most popular sports um, in not only the United States, but in the world. Um, so first, just to, uh, to demonstrate some of the importance of all the changes that are going to happen, uh, I wanted to talk quickly about the, the amount of nationally televised sporting events that have been lost to coronavirus by networks. Um, so ESPN Plus has lost 160 national sporting events. ESPN 139, NBC 107, TNT 78, FS 149, and the list goes on and on of all these huge uh, sports broadcasters that uh, they're losing live sporting events because they're just not happening right now. Um, but if your sport is virtual, it doesn't matter if there's a pandemic; you're not going to lose it. So a lot of these, a lot of these broadcasters, streaming services, the like. Are trying to find ways to get what they're calling foolproof sports, so sports that no matter what, don't need to be canceled. Um, we'll open up with a little bit of an alternative of an idea that I just heard about. Floyd Mayweather, um, who many consider to be one of the best boxers of all time, he's in a in a deal for virtual boxing on Fubo TV. Um, again, kind of a fringe idea, not one of the main ones we'll talk about today. But uh, what they're doing is they're creating a digital image of the fighter, and they're going to feature him in virtual matches. They're going to appear on their streaming service. Um, So again, this isn't actual boxers fighting, but it is another thing to gamble on. Um, And if you're like me, you're looking for something to gamble on right now. And who knows? Maybe in a couple years, you'll be gambling on virtual boxing. We'll see. Um, Another thing that a lot of people have been, a lot of people and a lot of leagues have been implementing recently. Um, is virtual fans so soccer fans in Denmark actually watched their league match uh, soccer match there over Zoom Um, so they were actually zoomed into the stadium on a big board, it's another video streaming service and they were able to watch that way Um, in the German Bundesliga another soccer league they offered fans a chance to have cardboard cutouts of themselves in the stands and they've also been experiencing uh, experimenting with artificial crowd noise um, so uh, I, don't know, uh, I don't know how many of you watch Andy Cohen live, but uh, Fox NFL analyst Joe Buck said that bringing fake crowd noise to NFL games is pretty much a done deal, um, which is pretty interesting. So it's going to allow you to interact with your team, even if you can't be in the stadium. Um, we've talked about before the NFL still trying to have fans in the stadium. But if they can't accomplish that goal, then uh, the next best thing is going to have uh, different uh, different fans able to interact um, virtually, which is extremely interesting. Um, one company that's trying to do that is Yamaha, the Japanese hardware manufacturer um, most known for making boat motors is prepared to debut an app called Remote Shearer. Um, what that's going to do is it's going to allow you to be heard, literally heard through the speaker system at live sporting events while you're sitting at your couch at home. Um, so sounds can be targeted specifically to home or away teams by pressing a button. Um, there will be strategically located speakers in stadiums and certain protective measures put in place. You, you can't say whatever you want to, um, but there's a way to support your team on the field through actual virtual crowd noise that you generate at home with millions of other fans. Um, which I think is great. It's, it's uh, one of the biggest issues I've had with sports coming back without fans is that the crowd noise is, is a major part of the game. And if you take that away, um, causing all, you get rid of a home field advantage, essentially. So um, great to see some ingenuity on that front. Even if it does happen to be Japanese, I'm sure there will be an American counterpart coming out soon. Um Moving on to esports was one of the things I'm most excited to talk about today. Um, did you know that gaming is actually the fastest growing form of entertainment in the world? Um, that's not hyperbole. It's actually it's the truth. It's exploding. Um, so these video games—they're not just for kids anymore. Um, an entire generation of adults was raised on video games, myself included. Um, most under the age of thirty are in fact growing up or have grown up with video games being a central part of their lifestyle. Uh, the numbers are pretty staggering. It's estimated that 2.5 billion people around the world play video games, um, and that includes two out of every three Americans. Uh, the games are growing in popularity every year, um, and the amount of esports, that's the video game... Competitive aspect: the online sport is also growing at a crazy rate. Uh, there are an estimated 454 million esports viewers worldwide, um, and that's expected to grow to 645 million by 2022. Um, so with all that viewership, it's expected to rival, rival Netflix, Hulu, HBO, and ESPN. Um, some. Some things that we we take for granted as being the most popular services, yeah, they might get passed by esports. And I know it seems like a crazy thought, um, but this next next statistic it's something I found pretty staggering. And hopefully, it shows you that this isn't just a gimmick. It's not just something that uh, is popular in in Asia. It's not just something the Chinese are into. This is really becoming commonplace all across the world, and especially here in the United States. Um, so ESPN, uh, everyone knows the worldwide leader in sports. They've been airing uh, a game called League of Legends on their website. Um, this League of Legends video game—it's kind of like a combat video game—and it's uh, it has a giant viewership. Uh, they have their own league. Uh, the game itself is called League of Legends, but there's actually a league for that game. Um, and in 2018. The world finals of that game had nearly a hundred million viewers. Actually, last year in 2019, it topped a hundred million viewers. It had uh, the numbers are a little bit iffy, but between 105 and 102 million viewers. For some context, last year's Super Bowl had 103.4 million viewers. Just let that sink in for a minute. The League of Legends World Final had as many viewers as the Super Bowl. That means there's a good chance this year's League of Legends World Finals has more viewers than the Super Bowl. So if you think that this is just a trend or, or this is something that, in, although it is in its infancy, this is something that uh, is not going to catch on, it's a niche sport, it's not that popular, it is literally becoming more popular than the Super Bowl. Which I it, I struggle to wrap my head around, and I'm sure many of you do as well. It's pretty crazy. And uh, and this thing, again, is young. It's still growing. The revenues have been increasing globally at a clip of 9.7% year over year. Um, Expected to reach $200 billion in revenue by 2022. So um, with the changing landscape of everything because of COVID, without fans being able to be in sports and with this already growing, we can expect this growth to uh, to even increase and grow at a faster rate. Um, and it's going to create all sorts of opportunities, from sponsorship to um, to youth involvement. To uh, I, I myself have been um, in talks with the intramural sports programs at Michigan, and um, attempting to get an esports uh, team together for Michigan, um, building infrastructure, getting scholarships. I mean, um, when anything becomes so huge at a professional level, um, you need to you need to allow opportunities for college athletes to play the sport. Um, so this is something that's just starting. It's not going away soon. It's in fact going to be getting bigger soon. And it's um, uh, something that we never probably would have expected 15, 20 years ago, um, but it is the reality now. Um, one last note on esports. Um, and there are a million stats and figures that I could show you. Um, but uh, the, the growth in the audience uh, is something that I want to focus on. And And if you look at the demographics for these esports fans, um, it's it's obvious that they're trending younger. Um, but one of the biggest benefits, uh, especially in a time where we've been talking so much about racial equality and talking so much about um, – equality between the sexes, the demographics, uh, while they do trend slightly younger, they do definitely trend um, slightly more to the men's side. Um, They're actually, it is the most equal viewership of any sport between men and women. And it has the most equal viewership across all races and all, uh, all nationalities as well. So this is something that can appeal any kind of person man, woman, black, white, Asian, anything Um, and I think that's one of the big strengths of it Um, regardless of of what you think about needing needing equality um, of the races or anything or equality of different sexes I mean, it's hard to find a product that can so widely appeal to every person so that's something that's going to allow them to make money it's going to allow them to uh, continue to prosper as a sport Um, And with that, before we get into news about the NBA, we'll go right and do another short break.
2: And we're ready for that little short break, as a matter of fact. And I want to remind everybody that on America's Web Radio, if you want to participate, you can join uh, join as a patron. You'll get a newsletter as well as... uh, informed of new shows that are coming on our shows with special topics that are coming on and want to thank all of the folks that have joined as as patriots and patreons uh, we uh, that's the way we stay on the air with uh, great shows like jacks and uh, all the other great shows that we do for veterans we are particularly proud of our veterans our military and our support of the military. And we do it every day. We want to remind people that if you're coming to Atlanta, Georgia, be sure and make one stop the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And another stop is the J.C. Healing Wall. The J.C. Healing Wall in Johns Creek, Georgia is the 50% replica of the Vietnam Wall in Washington, D.C., and the the one, John's Creek Healing Wall, is the one that traveled all over the United States, and going to small cities and letting people that couldn't go to Washington see their friends, their sons, their loved ones uh, that had died in action on the wall, the Vietnam Veterans Wall. So, be sure and put Johns Creek on your list of places to go, and also the Georgia veteran, Military Veterans Hall of Fame, as well as Peachtree Corners, has a great memorial to uh, Vietnam veterans. And if you're a veteran, tune into um, many of our other shows. You'll love them. And like I said, uh, uh, present tissues if you go and listen to our archive of a veteran's story. Uh, It will touch every heart. And I just want to take this opportunity to thank all of our hosts. They are great, and uh, most of them do this just because they have fun doing it, and uh, we need to uh, support them as well. And we want to remind everybody, this is Red Shirt Friday, and uh, wear a red shirt to show your support of first responders our military, our veterans, and those that serve us. And as a radio station, we support our police. I don't want to live in a country without great policemen, and they are great. And if you don't think so, let me encourage you to call your local police department and ask if you can ride with a cop one night or during the day and see what they go through. And if you haven't done that, then please do it and support your police and support Donald Trump. We totally endorse our president. How could you have a man representing us that can't keep track of of facts? can't keep I, I just cringe at the thought of thinking Biden would negotiate with any of our enemies or any of our anybody when he comes out with statements like... 120 million people died in the United States from CV-19. You know, he doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. He doesn't have dementia. He has Alzheimer's. And one last thing. Folks, you've got to get it in your head that we have to elect the right people. Otherwise, what's happening today, the communists trying to take over the United States, and this is Antifa and... Black Lives Matter. And they Black Lives Matter. The founder even stated, We are trained Marxists. That's that's basically saying I'm a communist. So think about who you're voting for and think about where the country's going and stop the communists from taking over the United States. With that being said, it's time to go back to Jack and uh here's jack
1: all right everybody let's get into our next segment here on billion dollar ballers this segment's going to focus on nba news as a rise in the coronavirus cases has brought the season's restart back into question um now you all know my opinions on this i think we need to to stay open, uh, definitely for the benefit of sports, but for the benefit of the economy and the benefit of the country. Um, we can't have all of these governors, uh, all these governors on a power trip trying to, trying to shut down their economies and trying to shut down the the sports to try to make a point, um, to try to get reelected. It's not right. Um, so, uh, that being said, it is a reality that we have to potentially face, um, so, with all the uh, with all the talk of rises in coronavirus cases, and with Florida being one of the worst states in this um, in this matter, uh, there there is a chance that the Orlando bubble, where all the players are playing, could uh, could end up not happening. Um, at this point, we have hit double digits on the number of players who have tested positive for coronavirus. Um, they've also cited a myriad of reasons for not wanting to return. Multiple multiple players have opted out of participating in the 22-team restart. Um, And and that, it's it's really I can't fault an NBA player for saying that they have a young child with a respiratory uh, issue and they don't want to come back and return. Um, I can't I can't really fault a player who says that they believe that they're going to get injured if they come back and return. Um, There are a lot of reasons for players not to want to return, but I do want to remind the players of of the financial incentives that are at stake. Um, There's an estimated a $1 billion to be split between owners and players um, if they do return. There's a number of these players, believe it or not, who do live paycheck to paycheck. Uh, As hard as that may be to believe in a sport that pays um, at the least experiment, experienced among them, a minimum salary of $898,000. Um, but even the wealthiest of NBA players have gone broke. Uh, we have to remember a lot of these players uh, may not be the most financially intelligent people out there, uh, definitely not trying to hate on any NBA players, but... Um, But the the fact of the matter comes that uh, when you think you have millions of dollars coming in, you may be spending millions of dollars. Um, So if they don't return, it could negatively impact uh, a lot of players for sure. Um, That being said, especially if they don't return, NBA team owners are going to shred the current collective bargaining agreement. Um, They have a clause called the Force Majeure Clause, um, which says if the season doesn't resume, they can leverage it um, they can leverage that fu- future financial uncertainty against the players um, and set back earnings for these players for a decade or longer. Um, the franchise owners likely are going to enact the clause anyway. Um, but, uh, I mean, as we know, depending on these owners to do the right thing is a, is a fool there. And they, they'll do what's in their best interest monetarily, and, and that makes sense. Uh, I would do the same thing if I was them. Um, but I stand with the players most of the time. If not, I don't want to say all the time, I don't think I do anything all the time, but I do stand with the players. These are hard-working people, some of some of the hardest-working people in the country, and, um, and I want them to realize that by not coming back, they're destroying their leverage, um, and they're going to be making less money. Uh, on, on the flip side, the individual players, one of them David Bertans. He plays for the, the Washington Wizards. He's opting out for the remainder of the season as a preventative measure. Now, he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, stands to earn a significant raise from his current $7 million salary, um, which means, in other words, he's financially incentivized not to play. Um, So, again, it's just all these little financial decisions, uh, or big financial decisions, from the league down to the franchises, down to the players, all of these different financial impacts are at play and this is really what's behind the scenes um, so this is uh, again a reason I love this show is, um, is we're talking about here things that you may not be considering the every everyday fan just thinks how great it would be to watch basketball why are all these players not playing or um, or just think oh if the season gets cancelled they'll just come back next year it'll be the same I mean There are financial implications here that that we can only even scratch the surface of on this show um, that impact every decision that's made for these leagues and every decision that will be made moving forward. Um, Again, uh, we've covered this in several shows in the past, but I do just want to discuss it one more time. Um, The business side, the financials of if this comeback doesn't happen. Um, so, obviously, we're worried about the health of everybody involved. We don't want anyone to get sick. Um, but for the time being, the league's revenue has dropped to zero. Um, it's a huge impact on the team businesses and the arena business. Um, and something that can't be recouped is the game night income from fans. And, and that accounts for roughly 40% of the league's annual revenue Um drawing focus to concern about the financial consequences of a canceled season uh, that would affect the salary cap, free agency, future earnings, and, and maybe the existence of this collective bargaining agreement. As we've said, the, the owners are likely to just tear that up. Um, we talked about if the NBA is going to come back, they're playing that shortened finish to the season that's going to allow them to fulfill their television contract. That's going to net them roughly $2.7 billion this year. Um, that's nearly 30% of the NBA's total revenue. Uh, I, I mean, we're talking about massive amounts of money at play here that we can't just throw away uh, by not bringing back a season because of a little bit of fear of of a disease, of a coronavirus. I, I understand people are dying. I get that it's a real thing. But uh, we have to draw the line somewhere. In, in a league that earns $8 billion in revenue per year, I mean, that's $8 billion you're taking out of the economy right there. That's no small amount of money. Robert, how are you um, doing? So we really need that back. Oh, good. Um, we're talking thousands of jobs that could be brought back, not just huh. players in the staff. Is that what we're talking if, if, about today? If they're able to make all this money, then in the future... Uh, they're going to be able to keep employing more people. They're going to be able to keep stimulating local economies. Oh. All these game day bars, oh, shops, uh, all these things, especially in towns uh, where where sports really drive a lot of the economy, and we we have a ton of towns, small market teams that bring so much money to yeah. the community. No, they
2: need to call in on um, So we're
1: we're definitely excited two, two, to uh, to two, have two, NBA back. I'm hoping Four, that we don't nine, see seven, too nine. many players that I are really. Out. Um and, and that the coronavirus cases really in don't cause people uh, don't cause people to stop that uh, that return to action. And
2: also that um, Johnson
1: and so the, uh, Ford, the representative before we get Pink into our next, Ford, uh, in our next segment, um in our next segment we will be sinking. talking about the return of and, the MLB, which which um, actually the just came to an Black agreement, Lives that they're going to come back. So and, and optimistic about them coming back, they said, uh, certainly uh, seem to be BLM full steam ahead as now. Have been I know we've the talked forces. in the past about the MLB um, about all their struggles. Identify them and um, but With them communist. finally able to come to uh, to an agreement, yeah. to finally able be able to discuss a return, um, they're going to be recouping a lot of the money that potential four billion that could have been lost if they hadn't returned. Um, so kind of uh, kind of the opposite of what we're talking about, the NBA here. NBA's been uh, been hmm. rock solid. I'm returning for a while now, kind of faltering a little bit now. Well, the MLB was very uncertain, and now the MLB is becoming more confident, and uh, they've actually locked in themselves coming back. So just another example of how uh, uncertain of a time this is, especially – uncertain of a time for sports Hmm. Um, so with that we're going to go to uh, one last short break before our final well
2: they're communists too aren't
1: they yeah yeah
2: okay thanks Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio, talking to you about antique car insurance. Uh, In this hobby uh, that I've been part of for years, not all insurance companies and insurance coverage is the same. I would suggest that you call J.C. Taylor or visit JCTaylor.com to find out some information about some of the best antique car insurance you can get, such as Agreed Value, uh, insurance for your classic car. Again, if you're when you get ready to to uh, insure your classic, classic antique, or even your street ride, call J C Taylor Insurance or visit jctaylor.com.
0: The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to Billion Dollar Ballers and welcome back to our last segment. As we mentioned before, this segment's going to cover the upcoming MLB season how that's going to look, the changes that are going to be made, uh, the incredible news that the season's not only confirmed to be returning, um, but that they got past the major sticking point of that player compensation. Um, so quickly, a uh, thing to take note of in the midst of all this uh, is the statement that the baseball commissioner said uh, many months ago now that the owners stood to lose $4 billion if the season had to be canceled. Um pretty significant, and um, although they could have probably um, come to a conclusion quicker, it has been a long time now, uh, a lot of drawn-out negotiation, as we've seen, they do finally have an agreement in place. Um, And that agreement does include playing the season in empty ballparks. again. Um, playing in these ballparks without the fans, the absence of gate-related revenue, it's going to lead to a loss of $640,000 for each additional game played. So there still is some of a loss of money of what could have been here. Um, But it is outstanding to see that they did come to a conclusion. Now, um, uh, I'm not going to recap all the negotiations because it's just a whole nightmare of ins and outs and proposals and counter-proposals, but I'll go over the last proposals that were made um, prior to getting this deal done. Um, so the last counter-offer by the MLB, um, made two weeks ago on a Tuesday, uh, was a 60-game season at full prorated pay, um, which which apparently wasn't good enough for the players. Um, now, you'll see why I'm mentioning this uh, very shortly. Um, but the union the players union responded they wanted to increase to seventy games additional financial benefits. Um, and and the owners didn't like that either. They tried to come to somewhat of a halfway point of sixty four to sixty six games. Um, and and even that uh they couldn't agree upon. So after after a lot of discussion, um, after some some uh some tension in the media um, some harsh statements. They actually came back to that 60-game proposal um, and announced a plan to return to play that features players reporting to training camp by, June, uh, by July 1st, leading up to a proposed 60-game regular season schedule, uh, what they had initially discussed, anticipated to begin on July 23rd and 24th. Um, so that's, that, that's outstanding. It's a pretty quick timetable. We'll see if they're able to pull it off. Um, But it is on the horizon. Uh, The commissioner, Rob Manfred, said in a statement that they have provided the Players Association with a schedule to play 60 games, and they're excited to provide fans with the great sport of baseball yet again soon. Uh, They did have an official press release, which you can check out on MLB.com if you would like. Um, But I'll give you a little highlight here. It essentially announced that the decision was reached Monday that included a unanimous vote of the 30 MLB clubs under the terms of the March 26th agreement. Um, Again, that was struck by the league and the Players Association and uh, came after the spring training camps were shut down because of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, The league asked the MLB Players Association to confirm that the players could report to training camp by July 1st. Uh, They announced that they could. Um... And uh, they're moving forward, obviously being careful of the COVID-19. They're having the players undergo testing upon their return. Um, And then, obviously, if they test negative, they're going to immediately begin training. Um, In order to mitigate the travel, the schedule is going to include 10 games for each team against its four divisional opponents, along with 20 games against the opposite league's corresponding geographical division. Um, So, for example, uh, the AL East will play the NL East and so on. So they are limiting the travel. They're doing local regional games, uh, which should be interesting. I mean, we've talked in the past about sports adapting. I'm not sure that um, the MLB, this is just speculation here. I don't know if the MLB thought about this. But if if, uh, with all these regional games going on this year, you have the potential to maybe create some regional rivalries here. Um, And maybe moving forward, they kind of do a system where they do end up playing a lot of the teams in the same area a lot. Um, Similar to what we have in college football, um, we have the SEC, a lot of Southern teams playing, the Big Ten, a lot of uh, Midwest, uh, East Coast, some teams playing, things of that nature. Um, And that really creates some of the best rivalries ever. I mean, talk Texas, Oklahoma, Michigan, Ohio State, um, some regional rivalries that that yield some of the most promising returns, um, in terms of viewership and revenue, just driven by these rivalries. Um, so maybe as the MLB moves forward, they could try to create some bigger rivalries and bring in some extra money. Um, that would definitely be great. Um, some more details about the upcoming season, their spring training 2.0 as they're calling it, that's going to be held in the major league ballpark. um, uh, as recent spikes of the coronavirus in Florida and Arizona have caused uh, all of the 30 spring training facilities to be shut down for deep cleaning. Um, unfortunate, again, different, but they're adapting. Um, I don't think it'll have a huge impact on the league. Maybe it'll actually help as uh, players get to train in their own stadiums. Um, if you are a baseball fan, although we try to keep it to the to the business side on this show, I'll talk a little bit about the new rules they're putting in because it does have an impact on the game. Um, the designated hitter rule uh, will be used in both leagues in 2020. It's part of the health and safety protocols. Um, they're also uh, having the ability to send up 20 players who are not on their 40-man roster um, to an alternate site. So they're going to have a 40-man roster and 20 players in an alternate site. So, I guess a total of 60 on the roster, 40 active, 20 able to be made active. Um, it, uh, it'll That will be reduced to 28 players active after two weeks, then 26 after four weeks. Um, and they will be having a trade deadline. That trade deadline will be August 31st. So, a pretty quick turnaround there. Um, we can expect to see a surplus of trades quickly. It's going to... Hopefully stir up more interest in the league again, um, potentially driving more money. It's going to be interesting to watch. Um, uh, several other little rule changes. If you want the full report of the rule changes, you can, again, go to MLB.com uh, and read all about that there. Um, the, uh, the transaction freeze, uh, which has been placed since the season was suspended, is going to end today at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Um, so that's good news. As early as today, we could see some MLB trades action like that. So keep your eye out for the MLB um, to be one of the only leagues right now that's actually consistently making roster changes and, and um, having cool things like that happen. So the MLB is really, uh, more so than others, trying to become a part of the conversation as quickly as possible. So, um, during the season, the players will be paid a full prorated portion of their 2020 salary uh, based on the amount of games played. It's going to equal approximately 37% of uh, what they would have made for the full season. And uh, I'll provide you some numbers here just for some context of what that's going to look like. So Mike Trout, he set to earn the most uh, of any MLB player this year. He was going to make $36 million. He's only making $13.3 million now, so significantly less. Garrett Cole, same exact figures, down from $36 million to $13.3 million. And uh, the next highest would be Nolan Arenado. Uh, he was scheduled to make $35 million, and he'll be making $13 million. Um, so, again, these, these players were scheduled to make exorbitant amounts of money. They're still making a ton of money. But if someone took your paycheck and cut off two-thirds of it, Um, I I would venture to guess you wouldn't be too happy about that. So uh, definitely feel for the players in this situation. (laughs) Um, Our last topic of the day, uh, again, it does involve the MLB, is uh, their next collective bargaining agreement. So if you're not familiar with these collective bargaining agreements, we've talked about them before on the show. Uh, What they are is they come together. It's the, the Players Association, the Players Union, um, and the league office, the executive league office, all the owners, they come together and they collectively bargain um, essentially everything. So this is down to a lot of rules, to financials, to uh, to scheduling, um, to benefits, the whole nine yards. Um, so the last time that they agreed on a collective bargaining agreement in Major League Baseball was November thirtieth, twenty sixteen, um, and that runs out on December first, twenty twenty one um so something that you could potentially expect here as we've seen these two two parties that being the players association and the uh, the league owners and executives they have not been communicating or bargaining well through this whole situation and it could spell trouble for the MLB in the future um, if they're not able to come to an agreement by that December 1st 2021 date uh, we could be looking at a at a um, a lockdown or a lockout. Um, and uh, lockouts, uh, they've happened across major sports before, perhaps, uh, perhaps most notably the last one um, that had a major impact, there was a huge NBA lockout that resulted in a shortened season. And um, that's certainly something that we wouldn't want to see happen for the MLB, but it's something that could be on the horizon. So just another thing to keep our eyes on. Uh, moving forward in 2020 and into 2021. Um, I think we've had a great show today. We've talked about a lot of interesting topics. I hope you agree. And we will hope to have another great show next week. um, Potentially talking about a lot of the same topics, but potentially talking about a lot of different ones as well. Uh, As we've seen, sports are changing rapidly. We have sports coming back, but we also have coronavirus on the rise. So, Um, sports is something that changes quite frequently and quite quickly. So, um, we will discuss some, some interesting things next week. I hope you've enjoyed and I hope you continue to listen to America's web radio and continue to tune in to billion dollar ballers. As always, I'm Jack Christie's and it's been a pleasure to be with you today. And with that, signing off.